0: Let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. A man well known for his cynicism and scepticism was on his deathbed. Being a Roman Catholic country, one of the people who'd been caring for him said, Sir, shall we get the priest to administer the last rites to you? And the sceptic to the end, he said, Certainly not. God will forgive me. That's his business. <coughs> well, I venture to suggest that it isn't his business and we can't take it for granted. And that's why in the Lord's Prayer we say, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now I know that many today do treat sin lightly. We have trivialised forgiveness, and when we think of it at all, we regard it as inevitable. It was Bishop Tom Wright, now a professor at the University of St Andrews, who said... Once you replace morality with the philosophy that says, if it feels good, do it, then there isn't anything to forgive. That's a superficial understanding and attitude to sin and our own failings. And it's a far cry from the New Testament. Indeed, it is a colossal insult to God, portraying him not as a responsible father, but as a senile old grandfather, who not only doesn't treat our sins seriously but doesn't even realize that we are indebted to him? I know that when we look at the attitudes of our culture, we become quick to blame others when things go wrong. When we listen to a psychologist, we feel well everything can be blamed on our parents' parents and our upbringing. If we listen to the sociologists they'll tell us that our social class and the community in which we were nurtured is all-important, making us who we are. Or if you listen to The Economist, he'll tell you it's all due to the poverty of our background and we didn't get enough benefits. Or a cunning lawyer, well, he might want to encourage us to sue for compensation anyway, rather than take the responsibility that we need for our own actions. So sin becomes what others do to us rather than what we do to them. And whether or not we forgive them will depend on how we feel. So firstly, I want to emphasise that the New Testament teaches loud and clear, as does the Lord's Prayer, that we all need forgiveness. Forgive us our trespasses, lead us not into temptation deliver us from evil. They're all concerned with an ascending order of complexity with what still obstructs the coming of God's kingdom in all its fullness. They limit God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Sin is a barrier, a breakdown of our relationship with God. And the New Testament teaches very clearly that we are responsible for our behaviour and it warns us that eventually we all have to face the judgement of God. Sin is treated very seriously and nowhere is forgiveness automatic. Jesus' message was summed up right at the beginning of Mark's Gospel with the words, Repent, which means change the direction and the focus of your life. Turn right round about. If you heard a Roman centurion speaking to his soldiers, and if he said, Repent, they would all immediately turn right round about and march in the opposite direction. And that's exactly what the word repent means. Change the direction and the focus of your life. Repent, believe, follow and then become. Repent, believe, follow Jesus and become the people God wants you to become. Be moulded by his spirit into the likeness of the Master. When I was minister at Epsom, we we had a young man who came to faith after spending many years in prison for terrorist activities in Northern Ireland. He was deeply moved and deeply changed by his faith. And one Sunday evening, I did a dialogue with him in our evening service. And as he, he had shared his testimony with us, I then asked him the key question, how did you feel? when you first became a Christian. And his whole face lit up as he said, I feel, felt as though a great burden had been lifted. I felt free. And free he was. And the benefits of that freedom we could see in his own changed life. St. Paul says we need to die to sin, to our old way of life, and be raised to a new way of life in Christ. That's the symbolism of baptism, that's the symbolism of Holy Communion. We die to self and we are born again to a new life in Christ. And that's what we've just sung about in that hymn, longing that we get to the point where we say, all of you and none of me, you become the first master of my life. So there is nothing superficial about forgiveness. It's not God saying, there, there, dear, it doesn't matter. For sin does matter very much indeed. After all, it cost our Lord his life. Sin is, in effect, our declaration that we do not accept the authority of Christ as Lord and do not wish to do his will. We'd rather do our own. Or as Dr. James Stewart, a great Scottish preacher, said, it is a clenched fist in the face of the Father. Sin is an act of rebellion, and a moral God in a moral universe can't ignore it. It's a lovely story of Jim, who had been for a year at Cliff College, Bible College, and then came back and uh, got a job as a lay pastor in a backstreet mission in the East End of London. And the friend who had been at college with him went to see him and looked in the mission hall. It was a very plain and bare building but on the table at the front there was not an empty cross, a sign of the resurrection that came out of the suffering of Christ. There was actually a crucifix, Jesus still hanging on that cross, more known and loved in Roman Catholic churches and high Anglican ones, than in a backstreet independent mission. And his friend said to him, why on earth have you got a crucifix instead of an empty cross? Surely we should be celebrating the resurrection. And the friend said, no. I want my people here to understand the cost of our salvation, to realise how much he loved us, that he actually hung on that cross and died for us. And only when they realize that are they ready to celebrate the resurrection. Jesus loved us so much, and our sin cost him his life. And we need to remember that. So, the first thing is the importance of forgiveness. We all need to be forgiven, and the way to that forgiveness is found in Christ. And the second thing is. We need to forgive ourselves. We're told to love our neighbour as ourselves and uh, some of us don't love ourselves very much so God help the poor (laughs) neighbour because we don't want to treat them as badly as we feel we deserve to be treated. And that's because we're all a bundle of contradictions and there are negative sides. We've all got the shadows that we have to face. While we can forgive and forget the sins of our children, it is sometimes difficult to forget our own, and difficult to believe in God's forgiveness, because we can't forgive ourselves. The past can't be changed, and we don't know what to do. Come with me to an airport, if you will. (coughs) The plane has landed, and then a little man comes forward with a small block, and he puts one... Behind each in front of each of the wheels of that plane, thus, one of the most powerful machines ever made is effectively prevented from going anywhere by little blockage by each wheel. One failure, weakness, or mistake that we can't bury or forget prevents us from taking off. We come to a blinding halt because we can't free ourselves from the shame of our own weakness, sin, and failure. We need to forgive ourselves. Because forgiveness is not a matter of being let off the hook. There's nothing sloppy or sentimental about it. It's essentially the healing of a broken relationship. A relationship broken by selfishness and sin. Sin alienates us from God and it also alienates us from the people we have longed. I mean, I'm sure you've all heard of situations where families break up. 35 years ago she swore at me and I'm not going to forgive her for that. And you've all met people who have that kind of attitude and how one thing in a family relationship can cause chaos over generations if somebody doesn't forgive. The lack of forgiveness is an enormous barrier in human relationships. But, through His grace, healing can be received, harmony can be restored and forgiveness experienced. Intimacy is restored again and the broken relationship healed, we are free to move forward again. So then firstly, we need forgiveness. Secondly, we need to forgive ourselves, and that becomes something that we can actually do when we feel that if Jesus loved us enough to die that we might be forgiven, then maybe we are worthy of the forgiveness that he offers, and we must accept it. And the last thing that speaks to us from the Lord's Prayer here, forgive as we forgive those who trespass against us. Sin, as I've said, causes a rift in human relationships. Early in their ministry, but before their wonderful conversion, uh, John and Charles Wesley went to Savannah in Georgia, in the United States now, uh, to serve with the early settlers there. Charles was chaplain to the governor of the state, General Oglethorpe, and John was pastor to the local people there and the church in Savannah. One day, John Wesley heard the governor say, Sir, I never forgive. And John Wesley said, Then, sir, I hope you never sin. Jesus said, forgive as we forgive others. But that doesn't mean to the extent that we forgive others. I think that can be a real stumbling block in our understanding. You know, forgive us... I mean, I'm not sure I've really forgiven Mary as much as I should and Bill, well, I've never quite resolved that conflict. No, it's not like that. It's not to the extent. It means, as we are living in the spirit of forgiveness to those who wronged us. Luke's version puts it this way, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. In effect, we are saying that we've made what little preparation we can to receive the gift of God's forgiveness. We've shown by our actions that we really do believe in that forgiveness, and we want to put it into practice. A little boy has taught the Lord's Prayer at school, but I'm not quite sure he understood the words he was saying Forgive our debts, he said, as we forgive those who are dead against us. (laughs) Well, maybe sometimes that gets pretty close to the point. The deeper the hurt, the harder it is to forgive. If forgiveness were easy, it wouldn't have needed such a prominent place in the Lord's Prayer. A deeply committed Christian had been the victim of a great injustice, and she was deeply hurt. A friend of hers from the local church, who happened to be a medical doctor, popped round to see her, to see if he could be a support to her in a time of great need. The doctor listened to his friend and sh- as she shared something of the pain that she still felt so strongly. Then having listened at great length, he quietly said, You really have been wrong. You didn't deserve it. But the most important thing is that you forgive him. You must do so, not just for his sake, but for your own as well. Years of experience with hurting patients had taught that doctor that the impact of an unforgiving spirit could have a far more devastating effect on the person wronged than the original offence itself. Embittered people are their own worst enemies. And negative attitudes in one relationship can spill over into others and all too easily diminish our capacity for love and sensitivity. We can become cynical. We can nurse our grievances, and anger and resentment can be allowed to build up. They eat into our peace of mind and destroy all sense of wholeness and inner harmony. By refusing to forgive, we diminish ourselves. As Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 13, love keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't keep harping back and refusing to forgive the wrongs. It seeks to be open, that walls may be broken down and bridges can be built. After the Holocaust, an immigrant rabbi was leaving Germany to settle in the United States. Shortly before they arrived at New York, he was chatting to a fellow passenger, and he began to open up and tell his story. And then he looked at the American and said before coming to America I knew I had to forgive Adolf Hitler. I didn't want to bring my hatred of Hitler with me, inside me, to a new country. Philip Yancey, a Christian writer and journalist says, if we refuse to forgive we imprison ourselves in the past and so yield control of our lives To those who have wronged us. Forgiveness is not just one act. It's an attitude and a process. It takes time. Feelings and hurts and pain do not disappear overnight. Unhelpful and wrong it is to pretend that they do. We usually have to begin with an act of the will. And then this has to become an ongoing attitude and we get to the point where in gratitude and obedience to God and following the example of Jesus we make a determined choice to forgive those who have wronged us. And then we seek to put into practice a positive attitude of forgiveness and love to those who have wronged us. It was the American Senator Edward Kennedy who said, it takes two sides to make a lasting peace, but it only takes one to make the first step. And that, of course, is profoundly true. Once the apartheid era was over, and Nelson Mandela had come into power as president of South Africa, a black South African minister met a white man who'd interrogated and abused him whilst he was in prison. The white man said to the black minister, am I forgiven? And without a word, the minister hugged him. Then he inquired after another man who'd also interrogated him and said he would like to meet him again. Well, the guard was naturally very sensitive, wondering just why this man needed to meet somebody else who had punished him when he was in prison. Why, he said. The minister smiled and said, because I want to hug him too. That's forgiveness. That's reconciliation. That's the healing of a broken relationship. That's taking the teaching of Jesus seriously. That's understanding what it means when we pray the Lord's Prayer Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. A whole life-changing attitude, a whole positive attitude that seeks to build bridges and break down barriers. It was Mahatma Gandhi, the great Indian reformer, who said, if everyone followed the eye-for-an-eye principle, then eventually the whole world would go blind because we're all weak and we all fail and we all need forgiveness and someone has to break that cycle of negativity so that a new beginning can take place I don't know about you but when I read the Lord's Prayer and when I pray it, I can't help but feel that Jesus knew much more about psychology than we even do today but he didn't learn that from a textbook That was the heart of his nature, that was his message of love, that was the depth of his insight into the human condition, and that's why the Gospel message is as relevant now as ever it has been, and will continue to be relevant, powerful, and psychologically wholesome, now and forevermore. For the Lord's Prayer clearly teaches that we need to be forgiven and we need to be forgiving. For only then can we be released from the failings of the past and face the challenges, the opportunities, the joy, the healing and the wholeness that the Lord offers to those who follow him. Amen. So let us pray. Give each one of us, O Lord, a steadfast heart which no unworthy affection may drag downwards. Give us an unconquered heart which no tribulation can wear out. Give us an upright heart which no unworthy purpose may tempt aside. And bestow upon us also, O Lord our God, understanding to know you, diligence to seek you, wisdom to find you and faithfulness that may finally embrace you through Jesus Christ our Lord.